Hello and welcome to day four of ACR 2021. I am Professor Grace Wright and today I want to highlight six posters which describe interesting results from clinical trials with a variety of therapeutic agents in RA patients. I'll start with a long-term extension of a phase three Filgotinib trial where Alitaha and colleagues described changes to clinical outcomes in RA patients over 48 weeks when they were switched from methotrexate to Filgotinib. So this is abstract 1710 presented on Tuesday, clinical outcomes of methotrexate naive RA patients on filgotinib long-term extension trial, initially on filgotinib or methotrexate during the phase three parent trial. So patients completing the parent study could enter the long-term extension. Methotrexate was washed out for four weeks at long-term extension baseline, and methotrexate completers were re-randomized to filgotinib 200 milligrams or 100 milligrams. Methotrexate and or other CSD MARDs could restart at four weeks or greater after the long-term extension first dose. The key results here are that after methotrexate washout, only 17% and 23% of filgotinib 200 milligram and 100 milligram patients respectively restarted methotrexate. ACR 20, 50, 70 in parent study filgotinib arms decreased modestly from long-term extension baseline to week 12, then stabilized. In methotrexate to filgotinib switchers, responses remained stable or improved to approach parent study filgotinib by week 48. Treatment emergent adverse events, grade three or higher adverse events, serious adverse events and infections were largely comparable across groups and did not appear to increase after methotrexate to filgotinib switch. Overall response rates improved for patients, switched from methotrexate to filgotinib and decreased modestly for filgotinib continuers and safety findings were comparable with the parent study. Now staying with filgotinib, Buck and their colleagues assessed the clinical outcomes of the long-term extension of a phase three study where biodemard inadequate responders were switched to filgotinib. We now have abstract 1696 presented on Tuesday. Clinical outcomes up to week 48 of ongoing filgotinib RA long-term extension trial of biologic DMARD inadequate responders initially on filgotinib or placebo in a phase three trial. So here filgotinib efficacy and safety was assessed in biodemard IR patients in a long-term extension from a phase three parent study. Patients received filgotinib 200 milligrams, 100 milligrams or placebo, all with stable CSD MARDs up to 24 weeks. At week 14, patients with inadequate response to filgotinib or placebo switched to standard of care. And the key results here are that during the long-term extension, filgotinib ACR 20, 50, and 70 response rates decreased modestly by week 48. Among placebo patients from the parent study, response rates were lower at long-term extension baseline, but reached similar levels as filgotinib patients by week 48. That is the parent study filgotinib patients. Rates increased up to week 48 in standard of care patients on either filgotinib dose, but not to levels of other groups. Treatment emergent adverse events, serious adverse events, and serious infection exposure adjusted incidence rates were higher in standard of care slash filgotinib versus filgotinib, continued filgotinib, 
or placebo to fulgotinib patients. So in summary, efficacy was mostly maintained with fulgotinib to week 48, and safety was largely consistent between the parent study and long-term extension. Switching focus away from filgotinib, Yamasaki and colleagues presented the outcomes of a 48-week trial comparing the safety and efficacy profiles of baricitinib in bio or targeted synthetic DMARD naive and bio or TSD-MARDs inadequate responder groups of RA patients. This is abstract 1702 uh, presented again on Tuesday, efficacy and safety of baricitinib in by DMARD or TSD-MARD naive and bio or TSD-MARD inadequate responder patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Here, 3,961 cases were recruited to the share register between 2015 and 2020. 154 were diagnosed according to the ACR ULAR 2010 classification criteria and treated with baricitinib over 15 months. RA duration, CDI, HACDI, anti-CCP2, and other parameters were analyzed and based on previous treatment. Our key results were that 51.3% were bi or TSD-MARD naive and 48.7% were bi or TSD-MARD inadequate responders. 59.5% of the bio TSD-MARD naive patients achieve low disease activity and 22.8% achieve remission at 12 weeks, compared to 46.7 and 14.7% in the bio or TSD-MARD inadequate responder group. A significant reduction in methotrexate dose was seen at 48 weeks in both groups. 13.9% discontinued baricitinib due to herpes zoster, that is 8.1 per 100 patient years, and there were no thrombotic events. These data confirm the efficacy and safety profile of baricitinib and show baricitinib two milligram once daily was effective in biodemard or TSDMARD naive RA patients. Staying with baricitinib, Taylor and colleagues conducted a meta-analysis of data from 10 trials involving over 3,700 patients during a period of over nine years to examine the safety profile of baricitinib. Incidence rates of specific adverse events and rates of malignancies were presented in detail. This is abstract 1688 presented on Tuesday, safety profile of baricitinib for the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis up to 9.3 years, an updated integrated safety analysis. So pooled data from nine RCTs and one long-term extension were assessed and incidence rates per 100 patient year calculated for all 3,770 patients treated with at least one dose of baricitinib, giving us 14,744.4 patient year exposures with median exposure of 4.6 years and a maximum exposure of 9.3 years. Adverse events of interest were assessed over time in 48-month intervals. Our key results are that overall, the exposure-adjusted incidence rates were per 100 patient year for any treatment emergent adverse event and serious adverse event, which included death, were 22.6 and 7.4 respectively. Overall incident rates per 100 patient year were 2.58 for serious infections, 
0.35 for DVT, 0.26 for PE, and 0.49 for DVT-PE combined, 0.51 for MACE, and 0.92 for malignancy. Incident rates remained stable over time. The standard SIR for malignancies excluding non-melanoma skin cancer based on the SEER-17 standard was 1.07, similar to the general U.S. population. So in summary, there is no increased risk in malignancies in RA patients on long-term courses of baricitinib, but exposure-adjusted incident rates of treatment-emergent adverse events and serious adverse events should be monitored. Moving from baricitinib to upadacitinib, the team of Van Van Holven presented the three-year results from the long-term extension of the select early study involving 775 patients with RA over 156 weeks. They compared methotrexate monotherapy to upadacitinib monotherapy and discussed clinical responses and adverse effects. This is abstract 1692 presented on Tuesday, long-term efficacy and safety of upadacitinib in patients with rheumatoid arthritis, three-year results from the SELECT early study. This analysis reported efficacy and safety of UPA versus methotrexate monotherapy up to 156 weeks in 775 patients with RA from the ongoing long-term extension of the SELECT early trial. At week 26, those without CDAR emission and less than 20% tender joint count or swollen joint count improvement received blinded rescue. The key results are that at week 156, higher proportions of upadacitinib achieved ACR 20, 50, 70, low disease activity and remission versus methotrexate. Change from baseline and modified total SHARP score at week 96 favored UPA versus methotrexate. Most adverse events were numerically more frequent with UPA 30 milligrams and herpes zoster, neutropenia, non-melanoma skin cancer, and CPK elevation were more frequent with UPA versus methotrexate. Adjudicated MACE or VTE were comparable across treatment arms. So in summary, UPA monotherapy showed sustained superior clinical responses to week 156, but higher rates of several adverse events, although no new safety risks were observed. The final poster in this section covers the risk of herpes zoster reactivation in RA patients receiving JAK inhibitors. Choi and colleagues conducted a retrospective review of the medical records of 417 patients with rheumatoid arthritis who had received JAK inhibitors and defined reactivation rates and how recurrences of herpes zoster virus, this can influence continuation of JAK inhibitor therapy. This is abstract 1545 presented on Tuesday. Safety of JAK inhibitor in patients with rheumatoid arthritis who developed reactivation of herpes zoster virus after receiving JAK inhibitor. So the medical records of 417 patients who received JAK inhibitor at a tertiary referral center were retrospectively reviewed. Data from patients who developed herpes zoster reactivation were collected and clinical outcomes evaluated for those who continued or resumed JAK inhibitor after herpes zoster reactivation. 
So of the 417 patients who received JAK inhibitor, 7.9% developed herpes zoster reactivation after during JAK inhibitor. The median duration of JAK inhibitor administration before herpes zoster reactivation was 11 months. JAK inhibitor was continued in 72.7% during the herpes zoster reactivation episode and 15.2% temporarily discontinued and then resumed JAK inhibitor after herpes zoster. All patients with herpes reactivation had typical skin lesions and 9.1% patients had acute complications. So the majority of patients did not experience significant complications or a recurrence of herpes zoster reactivation. And JAK inhibitor after herpes zoster reactivation may be generally safe and well tolerated. This next section addresses three studies which take a close look into potential risk factors associated with tofacitinib. I will start with two multi-database, large population-based studies from the team of Cosrocover, both of which examined the safety profile of tofacitinib. They first analyzed real-world data from over 80,000 RA patients to investigate the risk of malignancies faced by RA patients and tofacitinib compared to those taking TNF inhibitor. Following on from the study, the same group examined whether there is an increased cardiovascular risk in patients receiving tofacitinib compared to TNF inhibitor. This is abstract 1675 presented on Tuesday. Risk of malignancy in patients treated with tofacitinib results from the safety of tofacitinib in routine care patients with rheumatoid arthritis, the STAR-RA study. So oral surveillance suggests tofacitinib in comparison with TNF inhibitors may be associated with increased risk of malignancy. This multi-database population-based study examined this safety concern in real-world settings. The RWE cohort included 25,389 RA patients in Optum, 29,511 in market scan, and 28,374,000 in Medicare. Key results are that the crude incidence rates per 100 patient year of composite cancer endpoint comparing TOFA and TNF inhibitor were 1.65 and 1.36 in Optum, 0.6 and 0.84 in market scan, and 2.70 and 2.48 in Medicare. Pooled parentheses score weighted for composite cancer outcome comparing TOFA with TNF inhibitors was 1.01. Pooled parentheses score weighted hazard ratio was 1.19 in the RCT duplicate cohort. TOFA in comparison with TNF inhibitors was not associated with risk of malignancies in RA patients in this real world setting. Now, abstract 1939 presented on Tuesday, risk of cardiovascular outcomes in patients treated with tofacitinib, first results from the safety of tofacitinib in routine care patients with rheumatoid arthritis, the STAR-RA study. Oral surveillance indicated an increased risk of cardiovascular outcomes in RA patients treated with tofacitinib. This study aimed to examine the risk of CV outcomes with TOFA compared with TNF inhibitors in RA. And US claims data used to create two cohorts, one a restrictive RCT duplicate, and two a broader real world representing routine care cohort. 
our key results are that 28,568, 34,083, and 39,612 real world patients were identified from Optum, Market Scan, and Medicare, respectively, of whom 13.2, 15.6, and 9.5% initiated tofacitinib. 10 to 31% of these real world patients had a history of cardiovascular disease with a pooled hazard ratio of 1.01 for CV outcomes comparing TOFA with TNF inhibitors. Results from the RCT duplicate cohort were in alignment with reports from oral surveillance with a pooled hazard ratio of 1.24 versus 1.33. This multi-database large population-based study did not find evidence for an increased risk of CV outcomes with tofacitinib in comparison with TNF inhibitors. Another study comparing the risk of tofacitinib to TNF inhibitors comes from the team of Charles Schoman, who examined the risk of venous thromboembolic events in a phase 3B4 safety study involving patients with RA aged 50 years or over with one or more existing cardiovascular risk factor. Incidence rates of venous thromboembolic events were described for two TOFA doses versus TNF inhibitors, and several risk factors for pulmonary embolus among the treated population were identified. This is abstract 1941 presented on Tuesday. The risk of venous thromboembolic events in patients with RA aged at least 50 years with at least one cardiovascular risk factor results from a phase 3B4 randomized safety study of tofacitinib versus TNF inhibitors. So oral surveillance was a phase 3B4 study to assess risk of MACE and malignancies with TOFA versus TNF inhibitors. Included were active, moderate to severe methotrexate inadequate responder RA patients aged 50 years or more and with one or more additional CV risk factor. This analysis assessed the risk of VTE, including DVT and PE. Our key results are that the incidence rates for VTE, DVT, and PE were less than 1.0 across groups. Probability was higher with TOFA 10 versus 5 milligrams BID, and for both TOFA doses versus TNF inhibitor. Across treatment groups, VTE, DVT, and PE incident rates were higher in those with versus without history of VTE. Identified overall independent risk factors for PE across treatment groups included history of VTE, baseline use of oral contraceptives or HRT, a BMI of 30 or higher, age 65 or higher, and history of hypertension. So in conclusion, incidence rates were generally consistent with ranges among those at high risk for a CV event. PE incidence rates with TOFA 10 milligrams twice daily was higher than reported in TOFA or BioDMARD clinical trials or registries. I will conclude these daily highlight sessions with a few key abstracts focused on treatments of psoriatic arthritis. I'll start with data from the team of Baraliakos, who investigated the efficacy upadacitinib in patients with psoriatic arthritis. Clinical responses related to axial involvement were assessed via a post-hoc analysis of the placebo-controlled select PSA studies. 
This is abstract 1945 presented on Tuesday, efficacy of upadacitinib on psoriatic arthritis with axial involvement defined by investigator assessment and patient reported outcome-based criteria, the results from two phase three studies. This post hoc analysis assessed the efficacy of UPA on axial symptoms in patients with axial PSA and axial involvement defined by investigator assessment and PRO-based criteria from two phase three select trials. Patients were randomly assigned to UPA 15 milligrams or 30 milligrams once daily, adalimumab or placebo. Key results are that based on investigator assessment and PRO criteria, 23.1% in select PSA1 and 27.5% in select PSA2 met the combined criteria for axial involvement. In both studies, UPA 15 milligrams showed significantly greater clinical responses versus placebo at week 24 across all endpoints assessed. The proportion achieving ASDAS clinically important improvement at week 24 was significantly greater with UPA versus ADA. So in conclusion, PSA patients demonstrated statistically greater clinical responses related to axial involvement with UPA compared to placebo and numerically higher compared to adalimumab. I will wrap up the daily highlights with a poster and an abstract session by Mies and their colleagues covering the efficacy of two different treatments for psoriatic arthritis. Improvements in enthesitis in PSA patients receiving tofacitinib were discussed in the poster, and the abstract session went on to give details of the efficacy of ducravacitinib in musculoskeletal manifestations of active PSA in a 16-week placebo-controlled phase two trial. This is abstract 1809 presented on Tuesday. Efficacy of tofacitinib on enthesitis in patients with active psoriatic arthritis. This post hoc analysis pooled data from patients receiving tofacitinib or placebo in OPAL Broaden and OPAL Beyond. Endpoints months one, three, and six included change from baseline in Leeds enthesitis score and presence of enthesitis. The proportion without baseline enthesitis, that is leads enthesitis zero, developing enthesitis at each location was also assessed. The key results are that data were pooled from 479 patients with an LEI greater than zero and 227 with LEI equals zero at baseline. Leads enthesitis improvements with TOFA were observed as early as month one, and maintained to month six across all locations and in patients with greater baseline enthesitis severity. At month six, the proportion with enthesitis at specified locations was generally reduced by about 50%. By month six, less than 13% with baseline enthesitis scores of zero in each treatment group had developed enthesitis. So in conclusion, Tofacitinib resulted in improvements in enthesitis, regardless of location or severity, and Tofa is a treatment option for PSA patients with enthesitis. We now have abstract 1820-1820 presented on Tuesday, efficacy of ducravacitinib on oral selective 
tyrosine kinase 2 inhibitor in musculoskeletal manifestations of active PSA in a phase two randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial. So this in this phase two trial, 203 PSA patients were randomized to gravacitinib six milligrams or 12 milligrams once daily or placebo and stratified by TNF inhibitor status, experience versus naive and body weight, less than 90 versus 90 or higher kilograms. This pre-specified subgroup analysis assessed the likelihood of achieving ACR20 at week 16 based on stratification. So key results are that ducravacitinib patients were numerically more likely to achieve ACR20 at week 16 compared with placebo, regardless of TNF inhibitor experience or body weight, although some of these groups were small. Improvements for tigravacitinib versus placebo were observed in all ACR components with apparent separation occurring as early as week four for HACDI and HCRP and maintained through week 16. No serious adverse events, including serious infection, herpes zoster, opportunistic infection, malignancies, or thromboembolic events were reported with ducravacitinib. Analyses confirmed the efficacy of ducravacitinib versus placebo across TNF inhibitors and body weight subgroups. Unfortunately, that is all we have time to cover for this year's ACR 2021 daily highlights. Thank you for joining myself and Professor Leonard Calabrese for the last four days. We hope you enjoyed the topics we picked out for you. All four highlights are available for you to watch at any time. And you can also download our highlight booklet containing all the abstracts featured. That just leaves me to say, thank you for watching and we'll see you next year. Thank <laughs> you.